God. Before I was saved, I was a very prideful, very angry person. Just, you know, if, if it wasn't going my way, then everybody had to hear about it. Um, everything I did was on my own. You know, I, I just gave myself all the glory. I was very prideful, very, very angry, very prideful, very bitter person. Uh, you probably wouldn't have liked me unless you were the same way. Um, but since God's changed my life, he's done so many amazing things. I'm married now. I have a beautiful wife in the back there who's 39 weeks pregnant. Woo! Um, a beautiful daughter in the children's room, Olivia. Uh, I love her very much. We have a new house we're building right now. Uh, God has just blessed us so much with the many things. And just one little word of wisdom God has given me. How many of you love the book of Proverbs? Amen. Amen. I'm going to read out Proverbs chapter 3, verse 31. It says, Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but the house, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks the proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. So let's pray and give God the glory this morning. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We worship you. We ask that you be lifted up here in this place. Lord God, we surrender our hearts to you right now. We just lift up everything to you in praise, Lord God. Lift up everything to you in, in sacrifice and worship, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that your name be made great here and today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, good morning. Come on, clap your hands this morning. God, we come here this morning to worship you, to give you the highest praise. God, you're so worthy of it. Just right now, church, come on. Let's prepare our hearts right now for worship. You're so worthy, Lord. We give you everything, God. Here we go. I found love beyond all reason. You gave your life, your all for me. They call me yours
comes out to you. God, we offer you this time of praise. God, you are God, and there is no one else. There is no other God. Come on, just declare it, church, right now. God, there is no one like you. We declare that your salvation is for all mankind, every person in this place, that your love reaches every person, God, that your power, God, is touching everybody in this room. Come on, church, will you come in agreement with that right now? God, we believe it that right now we are meeting with you, God, and your power is transforming lives. God, we welcome you in this place. Let our praise welcome you, Holy Spirit. Let your glory fill this room. church just with our hearts with our voices we welcome you this morning i don't know what your week's been like i don't know what your life has been like leading up to this point in this time in worship but the bible says that we get to welcome our creator the one true god the living god we welcome him with our praise we offer it like the bible says this fragrant offering unto god and he looks down and he's pleased with us if you've been going through bad times, good times, come on. Just worship the Lord right now for who He is. God, we come before you right now as a people, as a body, and we welcome you. Come on, church, say that in your own words. God, I welcome you this morning, right now. God, I welcome you. Come on.
do that? Would you welcome him with your praise? Come on, would you sing a song from your heart? God, we love you, Lord. So welcome here. Come change lives. Come touch hearts. Come bring Jesus. We need your power, Lord. Fill this place with your glory. Fill this place with your glory. Oh, let your glory fall. Let your glory come. Holy Spirit of God, come fill this place. Our hearts, our hearts welcome you in. Every heart to know you, Lord. We welcome you, Lord.
respond to that word. If that's you this morning, you've just been pushing back the hand of God. That some things in your life have been happening, you're thinking it's coincidence. It's not. Come on. Don't push them away. Come on, right now, we accept you, Lord, in our hearts. Or stop running, God. We won't run from you. Come on. If that was you, you've been running from the Lord this week. Come on, right now, stop running. He's found you. Come on. Let your power fall. 
Sunday of the month, we are going to celebrate communion together. And we're doing things a little bit different. The ushers are going to begin to pass out the communion throughout the aisles. Hallelujah. And as, as we continue to sing to God, as we continue to press in, just be aware of the elements as they're being passed out. Just what to do.
took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's break the wafer and take it in the memory of our Lord together, who is broken for us all. Hallelujah, Jesus, we thank you, God. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now let's take the juice symbolizing the blood Jesus poured out for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made for the sins of the whole world, for the sins of every person, Lord God, of all ages, Lord God, the sacrifice that you made so that we may be reconnected with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness, oh God. Hallelujah. We know, Lord Jesus, that if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here today knowing your love, having that chance of new life. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Let's give God a hand, Captain Clap of Praise. Well, welcome to Metro Praise International. We want to take this time to dismiss the children. So, children, please follow Pastor Nancy. may take your seats. Right now, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Vanessa Vitali. I am wife of Chris Vitali, the beautiful, gorgeous piano player. <laughs> and we are both the campus pastors of the Wicker Park location on Ashland and North Avenue. And right now, I'm going to give everyone a chance to hear the gospel. Now, gospel means good news. Oh, what is this good news? What is this gospel? Well, John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now the good news, first to understand the good news, you first have to understand or question and wonder if Jesus needed to come down to save the world through himself, then something must have been wrong. What was wrong? What do you need to be saved from that Jesus needed to come down to save it implies that something went wrong and if you look at the word of God you see in Genesis that Adam and Eve the first two people who ever lived on the face of the earth our ancestors what did they do they disobeyed God everybody say sin Adam and Eve were the first ones to sin. 
the first ones to disobey God. And this disobedience resulted in Adam and Eve being separated from God and all generations who were to come after being separated from the presence, the love, and the mercy of God. And this affected all generations, and that's why Jesus came. It was from sin that we need to be saved. It is from that separation from God's presence that we need to be restored, amen? So today, in this place, if you know that your sin is separating you from God and you have not come to Jesus, you have not acknowledged him, you have not already believed in Jesus, you need to make that decision today. And so I'm just going to read the last verse again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So today we're going to give you that chance to accept Jesus Christ. Monica and Ricky, would you raise your hands? If you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you never have, you've never been saved they're going to be here during the greeting video. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to be discipled, you want to be mentored, you want to join a life group, they're going to be there as well to talk to you during the greeting video. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So now let's all stand to our feet as I pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for everybody in this room, Lord God. Lord, we all are lost without you. We all came from Adam and Eve who, who sinned and, and caused that separation from, from your presence, oh God. But Jesus came. Lord, you sent your only son, Jesus, to restore us to you, Father. And so I just pray, Lord, that if anybody in this place has not chosen to follow you, God, that, Lord, you'd begin to tug on their heart, that they would listen to the tugging in their heart that they feel, Lord God, and that they would... Uh, Lord, go up for prayer, Lord God, to Monica and Ricky, Lord God, and that they would accept you into their heart, Lord God. And I pray if anybody in this place has not been connected, that, Lord, they would just allow you, Lord God, to do a work in their life and that they would allow the Christians in this place to love on them, Lord God, and be involved in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right now we're going to recite our confession of faith. But before we do, if you would like a paper copy of this Confession of Faith, just raise your hand, and our ushers will be keeping their eye open to see if you need one. But let's recite this together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah.
to greet your neighbors. MPIchurch.org, everything always live streaming, DJing here and online. We love him. Look at your neighbor and just say, we're happy you're here today. Say, oh, we are happy. Come on, are we happy as a congregation to see everybody? Amen. want to welcome you to Metro Praise International. Everything we do here is for the glory of God, and we are so happy that you are a part of it. And the fellowship times are always just those times to say, I love you, because we don't get a chance to do that a lot during the week. A lot of people are busy, so always make sure you tell somebody you love them. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Every Sunday we're meeting here at 10 a.m. This is the main service, Wednesday Encounter Night. We just had a party last Wednesday. It was a costume party for Halloween. Did anybody come out and have some fun? That's all. That's a little lame, but that's all right. I still love you guys. Elevate. Come on, teenagers, every Sunday, every Friday at 7 o'clock right here. Come on out. We also have a special guest who did our rapping, uh, Jabez. Jabez, let's give it up for Jabez right here. He came and rapped. Brother, would you give us a little acapella something, something? 
Yeah, just come on up. Let's give it up for J-Best. 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 Do it. Do it. Tell us just a short testimony and then just give us a line that kind of gets them all excited to check out your website and what Christian rap is. I'll do all of that in like 30 seconds. Be hard. You're giving a Puerto Rican a microphone. He said 30 seconds. That doesn't really work. My name is Jabez. I'm from born and raised in Chicago, but I am in Miami with my wife. We're at Raven, Miami. We met a few of the people here actually in New Orleans. We did the uh, evangelistic work at Mardi Gras. And I tell you, if you guys get that opportunity, please, please be led first off to go because it is transforming life. It'll definitely bring you into a lot more boldness to preach the word of God, especially his love let alone to snatch the lost souls that our brothers and sisters and there's nieces out there, your cousins that are out there and so forth. They just need that one person to give them that look and even just say that Christ loves you or that Christ has been seeking for you. There's no more reason to run away. You know what I mean? Like it's that powerful, guys, and it's that much of a blessing. Again, Jabez uh, do have a, a company that we're building. It's called One Accord Studio. It's to help a lot of local ministers that do their rap so they can get noticed, but uh, I do have some of my CDs here. I would love to bless you guys with it for free. Again, if you want to, it's ravenmiamichurch.com. It's free 99. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and do a little verse of uh, one of the songs. It's called Freedom. It's really a techno song, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to jump. You guys ready? It goes, Jump, jump, like you want it. I'm drunk in the spirit, not an alcoholic. Sound the trumpets, the beat that's bumping. I'm a servant, so you know that I'll be serving something. Crumping, jumping as I clap my hands, and I'm breaking the chains as I remove the mask. Bring up the noise up to the mask, and I'm acting crazy with my David dance, so turn. But there's a lot more to that, brother. <laughs> All right, guys, stay bold, man. I love you guys. Love you guys. Amen, amen. Check him out. Get some of those CDs. Pass the word online. Awesome ministry right there. Praise the Lord. So that's what the youth get to do. And uh, adults who think they're still youth. All right? Amen. That's okay. Amen. And do you got, are you on iTunes yet, man of God? That's a sin. You got to repent. You got to repent. Okay, we're going to get you on iTunes because I don't know how to take CDs and put them on here unless somebody wants to show me how to do that. I got to find you on iTunes. Uh, Encounter Night this Wednesday, because every Wednesday the children are meeting and there's a Bible study here, but this Wednesday is going to be a time of praying for miracles, to press in for God for great things. So a lot of times we always have the altar workers here every Sunday, but you may say, Pastor, I just want to soak in God's presence. I want to uh, really contend for a miracle for myself, a family member. That's the first Wednesday of every month, okay? And that is going to be this this Wednesday, the 7th, wants you to come out because God is going to show up and blow up. Amen? Amen. And then Jeroboam, our head of evangelism, is coming. You're already clapping because he's clapping. You just start clapping for yourself. Amen? A lot of good things going on with him. He just, uh, he didn't have the baby, but uh, Sue Ellen did. Uh, Jeremiah has been born. Tell us a little bit about that, and then tell us about why you care about unborn children here. Jeremiah is a, is a good baby. He's a healthy baby. I could not have asked for, for anything better. A few of you have seen him. A lot of you have seen the pictures. Lord knows we love to take pictures. We did name him Jeremiah. Before I knew the gender, I just knew it's going to be a boy. We're going to name him Jeremiah, and he's going to be a great man. He's going to serve God when no one else does. He's going to preach God's message faithfully. We're going to raise him in the fear and admonition of God. That's our heart for him. And uh, he's blessed, and he's having a good time at home today with Mommy. We're going out next uh, Saturday because, you know, we can vote Tuesday. I encourage you all to vote. The whole message today will be about voting. But listen, getting our guy in office is 
not going to change people's hearts. People are having abortions because they have hard hearts. Women are having abortions because they think there's no other choice. Like their their life is over because they're pregnant. So what are we going to do? We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to hit the streets. We're going to go to the Albany uh, Health Center, Cicero and Elston. There are lawsuits against this place, guys. Malpractice, women dying, severe bodily injuries. Uh, uh, several, oh, over a dozen lawsuits against this place. Listen, abortion is not good for women. Yes, it's pro-choice, the, the choice to make the worst choice of your life. We want to go out there. And you might say to yourself, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. We're going to prep you. We're going to give you literature in your hands. So if you forget what to say, you can look down at the, at the thing. Okay? We're going to prep you. We have resources online. There's an event page. There, I wrote a blog on it. You can get the heart. There's another page from Karis where you can get a sense of what the debate is like so you're not coming ignorantly into it. And we have a series of videos to prep you on what we call sidewalk counseling. We're going to meet women at a crucial time in their lives. We're going to present them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to present them with their options. God, We love God and we love people, and that means loving and hurting women and their babies. Stretch your hands towards Jared right now. Father, we lift up this ministry to you, which has been birthed out of his heart, God, but uh, it's your heart. It's really where you're at, God. You're wanting to save lives, God. So we just pray now for uh, Pastor Jared that you'll give him the wisdom to lead this up, that, God, the law will be on our side because I know this abortion clinic is going to get upset and probably try to call the police to get us off their property. But, Lord, I pray for justice to prevail, and I pray for every person that connects with this ministry. That, Lord, that they don't come with the heart of just judgment saying it's a sin, but they come exposing sin, but to bring life in its place, to speak about adoption, to speak about hope, that even some of the women here who have confessed abortions, but God has saved them, will talk about what it means to have children and what it means to live for God. Let the stories encourage this community, uh, uh, God, that it changes their lives. And we pray from the doctor to the janitor that these people will quit this kind of work and get out of this business and this nation will repent of this uh, uh, infanticide against our children. In your precious name, in Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Let's bless the Lord because we're taking land. Come on. It belongs to us in Jesus' name. This is what we're also doing as well. It's called the Truth Project in all of our life groups. Life groups are an exciting time to get trained up for Jesus. They're doing a video series. These flyers right now are for you to hand out to your friends to come to a home Bible study and learn the truth about God and life. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. And by the way, we still have these tracks right now for uh, letting the community know we're coming to this neighborhood. It says relaunch. So we're telling them, hey, we used to be here. We came. Uh, we left a little bit. We came back. We redesigned it. We want you to come back with us. And then on the back, it's a track working you through the gospel of John, teaching you to be born again. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. This is the heart of Metro Praise. We have a vision to love God and love people. We have a discipleship strategy to connect you to the cross, mentor you with the cross, and send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples here with 50 churches and 500 around the world. The vision comes from the very words of Jesus. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strengthen your neighbor as yourself. Do you want a church that does that? You found the right place. Can I get an amen? Amen. He didn't say it stopped there, though. He said, therefore, go into all the world. Teach them to be disciples like I taught you. Baptize them. And he said, I'll surely be with you until the end of the age. And so how does our discipleship strategy work? It's very simple. Everybody say connect. 
Amen. You start by going to a life group. Is anybody excited about life groups here this morning? Come on, does anybody care about you and those life groups? Are you happy? Say amen. We care about you. It's a place of family. It's, of course, some free food, but it's a place to get together and pray. Number one, you go to those life groups. Everybody say mentor. Thank you. While you're there at that life group, you can begin to get discipled one-on-one -on -one by a leader there. They'll begin to say, hey, let's get together. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about the Word. What's going on in your life? I know there's some people that don't like that. They want to stay in the frozen chosen, and they want to get in the back row and nobody pay attention. But we care about you here. Amen? We want you to grow. And then after you uh, graduate that, we have the 201 called Disciples That Make Disciples. And you can check this out online for free. And that's our 201 class. Do I got any 201ers here this morning? Come on, a mighty, mighty group of people, and then we send you out. Everybody say send. We connect you through life groups. We train you through our classes, send you out to change the world. Over 10 different times of evangelism happening throughout the week, some before life groups, some before services, some on high school campuses. Now you see a new one going to the abortion clinic. Why? We want to change the world for Jesus Christ. We believe with the right vision and a discipleship strategy, we can see 100,000 disciples here with 50 churches and around the world. If you believe it, somebody say, I believe. Amen. Let's receive it together. And here's how you can help us today financially. We believe in tithes and offerings. So I'm going to ask that you would prepare to give your best today because we are supported by you 100%. We don't do anything on the side. We need your help. So would you consider being a tither? That's 10% of your total income. If you want to give offerings, if you look at the envelope or online, offerings simply can go to missions, our books being translated and put all over the world. They're in Pakistan, India, Nepal, and uh, uh, Nigeria. God is using them. Or you can give to the building fund, which allows this place to keep looking nice. Does anybody think Metro Praise International here looks kind of nice? Can I get an amen? Amen. Would you stand up to your feet with me? As we prepare to give, we also have online giving where you can give through your credit card or make repeating uh, gifts through your bank account, through Chase, Quick Pay, and we just make these opportunities available for you. But right now, if you're going to prepare to give, we're going to ask you to believe God that the offering you're giving is going to be seed sown in a good ground to reap a good harvest. We believe in the biblical principle of this scripture that when you give, you will receive. I believe that as we get our nation in righteousness and the church in righteousness, that the money and those things will follow. But we cannot put money before righteousness. Are you listening to me? So for those of you who are saying the nation needs to get their, you know, their budget in order, all these politicians, what about your budget? And what are you putting first? I want to challenge you, put God first. Don't put God fourth and fifth on the list and then run to him in your time of trouble and say, God, help me. My life's all messed up. And God's going to say, well, what have you been doing with your finances? Well, God, I pay this, pay this, pay this. And then if I have anything extra, I give to you. See, you're breaking covenant with him. You're breaking a covenant. Put him first in his business. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, I'll preach that in recession. I'll preach that in depression. I'll preach that whenever because that's the Bible. Amen. And let's believe God that there is a harvest coming. And today's message is going to tell you why this nation got to become great and some of the reasons why right now it's not so great in many ways. But it starts in the church. Don't love money, love God. Show him today by breaking that heart of greed and give him a tithe, give him an offering and change the world through this place right here. And he'll change the world through whoever you call, your job, your home, your family. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you today for a church that gives not under compulsion, not because they have to, Lord, but because they want to. 
And Lord, I pray you bless your givers, your those that sow into this ministry. And now, Lord, I ask for this nation, God, to do an about-face turn, that, Lord, you'll bless America again, that you'll put the right people in office, Father, that you'll take corruption out of our offices locally, federally, Lord, and even as, I, as we work internationally, that, Lord, you would start with this church and a holy people. You would reform our minds towards money, and you'd reform this nation towards money, Father God. Because you said money is the root of all kinds of evil, Lord. But, Lord, we're coming to you because we know the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So as we give, give it back to us. Press down, shaking together so that we can be blessed to be a blessing. And we covenant with you today, Lord, that as we put you first, we trust that you'll put our family and in our family's family, children's children, in order. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Let's say what Jesus said on the count of three. One, two, three. And it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Will you rejoice as you give today? God bless you. Thank you so much. time that we have the chance to. Would you open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, as I preach to you what is probably the most passionate message I have ever wrote concerning the United States of America. Our election day is coming up this Tuesday, November 6th. I have already voted because my uh, registration or um, voter registration had lapsed and I needed to vote early. And I want to compel all of you to vote this Tuesday. How you vote is going to be between you and God. And some of you, while you prepare to vote, you may be asking yourself, well, what does God feel about this? What does the Bible say about this subject? I see these politicians debating back and forth, but what does God say? Well, my friends, today I want you to hear what God says. You may not agree with me. That's fine. But I want you to know as clearly as I can show you in the Bible, this is the stance of God. Many times we say, well, we don't like to talk about politics and religion because it causes confusion. I like to talk about politics and religion from the Bible because it takes away confusion. When people say, oh, I don't want to talk about that. No, we need to talk about it. When we don't talk about the things that are most important, God and your country where you live with your family, those things will be taken over by people that you uh, that don't share the same values as you, and they'll take your family, your country, and your religion in a different direction. My friends, you need to be involved in both religion and politics. Proverbs, 8, uh, Proverbs 14, 34 is the context for today's message, God's heart for the United States. This is what the scripture says in Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Hear this today as a principle when you vote. 
Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So I'm not talking today about political parties. I'm not here going to name names. I'm not going to even endorse anybody, though I could. That's my right as a pastor, but I'm not going to. What I want to lift up today is righteousness so that righteousness will lift up this nation in Jesus' name. I want to put down today's sin so that sin does not become a disgrace to this people. How was our nation established? Well, America has quite a unique history with God in the Bible. How about this? Patrick Henry and Frederick Douglass actually used these scriptures as a part of their foundation. Patrick Henry, one of the founding fathers time, during the time of the uh, Declaration of Independence, he said, righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Reader, whoever thou art, remember this. In thy spear, practice virtue thyself and encourage it to others. So what did he say? Be righteous wherever you are. Whatever you do, be righteous. Patrick Henry, when this nation was founded, he said, I don't care who you are when you read this. Remember this. Righteousness will exalt this nation. Frederick Douglass, one of the most outspoken African Americans in early colonial history, a statesman, he said, I have one great political idea. It is in substance Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a result to a reproach to any people. This constitutes my politics. The negative and the positive of my politics and the whole of my politics. This African-American man said in early colonial history, he said, this is how I vote. I vote according to righteousness. When you look at the Bible, you begin to see that righteousness is quite clear. Was it used in the founding of our country? Because we are a unique country, one of the youngest on the planet. You know, Greece and Rome and uh, Italy, all these uh, nations are a lot older than us. But how did these men frame our nation? John Adams, the second president, one of the founders there, was signer of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Look at what he writes. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. This man who was there at the beginning, one of the greatest presidents of our time, the second after George Washington, his son was the sixth president, John Quincy Adams. This man was a powerful man in knowledge. He studied, and he said, when we founded this nation, this particular nation, we had to choose principles by which it would be established. Those places where we found our principles were the same place of Christianity. 1776, July 4th, when they signed the Declaration of Independence. Do you know that 29 out of the 56 signers, that's more than half of the Declaration of Independence, had seminary degrees? Seminary degrees. That's me. I don't know. There's not many here that even have seminary degrees, only a few. My friend, what do you think I would choose as principles if I was on a committee to found a nation and my only degree is a seminary degree? What do you think your pastor would do? Those men were trained in theology. They were trained in philosophy. And they understood when we pick principles, we're picking them from the Bible. However, today our nation is much different than what it once was. Now we have a clear divide between righteousness and sin. 
between exaltation and lifting up and a disgrace. Things that our grandparents just 50 years ago, the people of the World War II generation would have said, God forbid this ever happened. And now it's happening all around us. And so these are the five main categories of God's heart for this country that I believe there is a clear distinction between righteousness and wickedness. And you need to vote accordingly. Number one, the unborn. There is a righteous way of handling this and a sinful way of handling this. Abortion versus pro-life. Concerning the family, there is a righteous way to have a family and a wicked way to have a family. Traditional marriage versus same-sex marriage. In social justice, there is a biblical way to help the poor and the hurting, and there is an unbiblical sinful way. Hand up versus hand out. Free speech, there is religious freedom, a righteous way to have it in this country versus intolerance, a sinful way. And in leadership, whether it's from the White House or to your house, there needs to be a standard of people that know the right from the wrong. God-fearing versus self-serving. God's heart for the United States. You might say, Pastor, this is quite uncommon. No, this is how your nation was founded. These are the men who founded your nation, godly men who spoke with godly principles. Let's start with abortion, the issue of the unborn. What is abortion? It means to terminate and kill the life of an unborn child in a mother's womb. You hear now that our church is having a ministry that reaches out to women that are considering abortions. But some of you here don't know what an abortion actually looks like. You don't understand the process the body goes through. By the way, my notes and resources that I spent 30 to 40 hours this week studying are online right now in the form of a blog so you can check and fact check everything I have said to you here. But I am now going to show you some graphic images of what an abortion looks like, and I hope it's shocking and scarring to you. Because an abortion is not just killing, it is not just killing an ant, it is not just killing an animal. We are not animals. Evolution has taught you in schools that you have come from a monkey, and so when this process happens, it is just a killing of an animal. Abortion is the killing of a human life. There is not two ways to think about it, my friends. This is the deal closer for me at election time. Sir, how do you stand with abortion? How do you stand with abortion, ma'am? Federal judge, senator, I don't care who you are, what position you have in this nation. I want to know how you stand towards the unborn. The videos and the things that I have online are even more shocking than this. These are children in our generation that are being killed and murdered. It's called a fantasy. It is called a sin in the eyes of God. My friends, don't let people tell you, vote with your checkbook, vote with your race, vote with your neighborhood, vote with your union. To hell with all of that. Vote with God in life. These are the statistics. When it happened in 1973, Roe v. Wade, she is now a pro-lifer because when she was raped, they all said, we'll just do this as a way to help women who don't want their children if they're raped or over sickness. But if you go down to this last statistic, only 1% of abortion has been from rape, 6% has been from health, 93% has been a way of birth control. When women don't want to have their children, they are aborting them. Over 50 million have been killed in this nation since the time of Roe v. Wade. 
Over a million a year, 3,000 a day. 50% of the women are under 25. This is an epidemic among young women. African-American females are three times as likely. Latino are two times as likely. So this is an issue for those that are in minority status or in poverty. 93% of the time abortions are for social reasons. I just don't want to have a child right now. I can't afford a child. I want to do things my own way. I want to keep living the Jersey life, the Jersey Shore life. 35% of all women, they say now in our society, that's over a third, will have an abortion sometime in their lifetime. And 47% of women who have abortions have more than one. That means they have no fear of God. They have no understanding that this is what is happening to that child in their womb when they are saying, I want to keep partying. I want to keep having sex outside of marriage. I don't want to live by God's standards. They're killing unborn children. And God will hold them accountable. And if you're here today, God will forgive you. But you must confess the sin of murder. You have murdered a life. And there are people in this church who have confessed it. And they have families now and they will share their testimonies with you. But you, my friend, are a murderer in God's eyes. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. In case you didn't know what God was saying about this, there are six things the Lord hates. Somebody say the Lord hates some stuff. There are things the Lord hates, and here's what he hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates it. It's not some compromise in heaven. There's no political debate in heaven. God hates it when innocent blood is shed. You continue searching throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 106, 36 through 38 tells us a story about what pagans did uh, in Judaism back in the day when these Jewish people turned their backs on God and started worshiping pagan gods. Look what they did. They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. When Israel went after pagan gods, began to kill their children, they desecrated the land by that blood that was shed. God hates it. There's no if, and, or but about it. God absolutely hates the shedding of blood among our children. So you want to know God's heart? Abortion, pro-choice versus pro-life. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure it out, my friends. This is the way I say it. Even a Mormon can understand it. God is pro-life. God wants there to be life. Here's the solution. Stop having premarital sex. If you do get pregnant, allow children to be a blessing from the Lord. And if you don't want the child, give it up for adoption, James 2.27. Because children are precious to God. These are the two children in our congregation born in the last 30 days. You have Jeremiah, jo, uh, Jeremiah there, uh, Walker, Jared's son, and then you have there Isaiah Rivera, Ricky and Rachel's son. That's God's heart. That's God's heart, amen? God wants life. Let's go to the next one, God's heart for family. You know, what is a family? You know, we want to define it today about, about whatever people want. No, there's, a, there's an, a definition for a family that's been in place as long as the Western civilized world has been in place, and that's the principal institution for the socialization of children. It's where we raise our children, friends. 
It's not something where you raise a gerbil. It's where you raise your children. The most precious commodity a society has are its children. And the family is where we raise them. Now today, people want to tell us that we should allow any definition of marriage to become a family. If two men want to get married and raise children, they should be able to do it. If two women want to get married and have children, they should be able to do it. This is my word to them. Until they can procreate on their own without the help of all modern science, until they can do it naturally, don't let them raise any children. Until they can have the procreation of their own children, they shouldn't be able to adopt children. You say, Pastor, you've stepped on my toes. I'm only at point two. I got three more to go. I didn't come here to care what you think. I came to tell you God's heart for this nation. You might say, Pastor, I'm upset with you. That's okay. Do you know that Dr. Mark Regeneris did a study just a few months ago that they had to, in his, he did a university study on traditional marriage versus same-sex marriage. As I read these stats, it caused such a problem in the gay community because when we get to freedom of speech, they don't want it. They want intolerance. If you don't agree with them, they want to shut you down. They tried to get this man fired from his university job. They had them done double check and triple check his facts and guess what happened at the end even the non-believer in the Bible even the people who had to decide this court case against him in the university said these statistics stand they're true here is his study that he just did people growing up in poverty the percentages are higher when you're in a gay or lesbian family. Lesbian, 69%. Gay, 57%. 57%. Mom and dad, 17%. What does that teach us? Moms and dads are more stable. Now people who grew up in the same-sex family currently on public aid, lesbian, 38%. Gay, 23%. Mom and dad, 10%. Already more than triple the problem socially growing up into a family like that. How about this? Unemployed. People grew up in a lesbian family, 20% of them are unemployed. Gay, 20% are unemployed. Mom and dad, only 8%. How about currently or have been in therapy? Lesbian, 19% of their children have been in therapy. Gay, 19%. Mom and dad, only 8%. These facts have been fact-checked to the point they wanted to get this man fired from his university. It's a fact, my friends. They're not the same. Recently thought of suicide, 12% of the children in lesbian families think of suicide. Gay, 24%. Mom and dad, only 5%. Currently in same-sex relationships themselves, 7% are, are now gay, uh, are now uh, suffering from that. And lesbianism, 12% gay, only 4% from a mom and dad say they want to have that lifestyle. You know why? Because it's not natural. How about this? Parents were unfaithful in a relationship. 40% of children who grew up in a lesbian family, their parents were cheating on each other. 25% of those who uh, gay, grew up in a gay family, out of a mom and dad, only 13% were cheating on each other. Sexual immorality. Ever had a sexually transmitted disease? Children, 20% grew up in lesbian, had it. 25% in gay, 8% with mom and dad. Why do you think that is? Because mom and dad don't know how to be sexually pure. The children don't know how to be sexually pure. 
This is the most shocking and the most disturbing. Touch sexually by a parent or an adult, and this is the thing they hated the most. They said, no, your interview is wrong. You know, Ellen Shigeneres and Rosie O'Donnell, look at these, look at these. No, he interviewed over 1,000. This is across the board, my friends. Those who were touched sexually, 23% in lesbianism of the children, 6% in gay, and only 2% with moms and dads. It's a perverted lifestyle, and it perverts innocent children. How about being raped? Another disturbing figure. 31% of those brought up in lesbian families were raped. 25% brought up in gay families were raped. Mom and dad, only 8%. The study's already been documented. It's online. Check it out yourself. The principle for family is found in the Bible. The principle for family. John Adams said the principles for our nation are the same principles of Christianity. Now let me just pause right here. That doesn't mean we have a church-run uh, nation. We're not saying our pastors run the nations. When those men sat down with their seminary degrees, they said, hey, let's make a democracy, not a church-run state. But as we make a democracy, we got to pick rules from somewhere. we got to pick things that are common sense somewhere. Well, let's choose from the Bible. Does everybody understand the difference? The Bible is not our constitution. But when they said, where are we going to gain these principles from, they chose the Bible. So when they came up with the principle of family in our nation, it just happens to be the same principle in the Bible. Amen? Then God made man and woman from a rib, took out the man, brought her to, took out of man, then he brought her to man. Then the, the man said, this is not bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Here we go, verse 24. For this reason will, will a man leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We look at Jesus in Mark chapter 10, 6, and onward. Jesus replied, in the beginning, everybody say in the beginning, thank you, God created them male and female. From this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. They shall be two flesh. Now, I've heard people say this to me. They say, well, you know, God never spoke against homosexuality, so that must mean he's okay with it. My friends, he never talked against bestiality, having sex with animals either. He never talked against rape. He never talked against uh, all these other vile things, child molesting. Why? Because in God's mind, this is the only blessed sex between a grown man, one, a grown woman, two. They come together, become one. Everything else, by definition, is perverted. Everything else is perverted. He doesn't have to go through the list. Ch sex with children is perverted. Sex on with men and men is perverted. He said it very clearly. This is the only thing I'm blessing, and this is the way it was. And then some people say, well, what about the polygamy? The Bible says that God allowed that for a time, but when Jesus came, he says it's over. From the beginning, this has been my definition. He reinforced it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You want to know what God's heart is for the family? Number one, if you're struggling with same-sex attractions and you said you were born this way, get born again and become like Jesus. We're all changing here, baby. You can get changed too. You don't need a sex change. You need a heart change. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Find a spouse of the opposite sex. Romans uh, Mark 10, 6. Have children, like we said before, blessed of the Lord. Well, what if I can't? Well, pray to adopt. James 1, 27. And have a godly home teaching your children these same principles and keep your house holy. Amen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, you want to know what God's heart for family? That's what it looks like. 2,000 years, that's been the definition of what a family is. Well, pastor, what if we can't have children? Are we not a family? No. You can adopt. That's the principle. 
And even those who have children can adopt. But God intended you to be a family. Well, if I'm called to be single, be single. God did not intend you to have sex with the same sex. If you are struggling with that today, Exodus International is a resource on the site, and this church is here as well. We will help you. But this is God's plan. This is God's heart. And this is what you vote accordingly. When you go to the voting ballot, you want to know, sir, ma'am, do you support pro-life and the, the life of our unborn children? And do you support the traditional uh, family, the marriage of one man and one woman? It's not that hard. Amen? They don't need to stutter about it either. Let's go to the next thing, social justice. This is a big thing in politics. What is social justice? It's a safe and secure country where all people can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we promised that from the very beginning. Our founding father said that's what they wanted to have here. How are we going to do it? They didn't say at the beginning we're going to give everybody free ponies, we're going to give everybody a free house. They said at the beginning this is what we're going to do and we want you to be a part of it. Let me give it to you clearly. In the Declaration of Independence it tells you what we were here to do. At the beginning it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Does it say in there you're going to get a free home, a free pony, a free anything? just says, no, you've got rights, and your right is to live happy, to pursue the life you want. There it is. He says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of those that are governed. So it's by the people, for the people. That whenever, uh, whenever any form of government becomes destructive to those ends, everybody say destructive. When a government becomes destructive to the people having life, the pursuit of happiness, when that becomes, and liberty, when that becomes destructive, they said that government must be abolished. It says, when it becomes a destructive end, it is the right of the people to alter or demolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizes its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Why were we rebelling against England? Because we weren't able to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we said, we're going to form our own government that can do that. But I want to tell you something. Today, our modern-day administration, our president, I believe is implementing destructive things towards the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'll show you how in just a moment. But another one of our main documents, the preamble to the United States Constitution. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty and our prosperity, do ordain the establishment of this Constitution of the United States of America. Where do you see in there you're getting free stuff? Where do you see in there they're going to take from the rich and give it to the poor? What America's government promised you and me from the very beginning is these things right here. They're going to establish justice. The courts are going to be fair to you. There's going to be tranquility. Somebody can't run up in your backyard and do crazy stuff. They're going to promote defense so you can defend yourself and our military will defend themselves. The general welfare is that you're going to be able to have a civil government that makes sure there's food and running water and sewage. Is everybody listening to me? That's what your uh, Constitution said. 
And then we go on to one of the most important uh, things that we have is the Bill of Rights. You can look at the Declaration of Independence as us saying this is why we're leaving England to form our own nation. You can look at your Constitution as the bylaws of the organization of this new nation. And the Bill of Rights talk about how people are going to live in this nation. And one of the most important things we're told is that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to its jurisdiction. So that happened by Abraham Lincoln after the Civil War, is that slaves there in that document were given their freedom. And so that means today that there is no person in this United States of America that is not given those same rights from this day forward. Amen? From that day forward, they were given all the rights. Everybody here, Polish, uh, Italian, African American, all have been given the same rights. Now many people want to talk about China. And many people want to talk about the growth of what's going on over there. I want you to take a history lesson right now from China. And I want you to understand what's going on with them, what happened in the Soviet Union, because there has always been two different ways in the Western world of how to handle economics. One has been called capitalism, and one has been called socialism. And I'm going to show you where God's heart is. When people talk about China and all the growth they're, they're going through, they don't think about the massive amount of poverty that is happening in that nation right now because it is a socialized nation. The average income of the person living in China is only $5,413. The amount of people living in poverty is 468 million, and 36% of them live on less than $2 a day. This is what happens when a nation begins to say, we'll be socialistic, we'll make a lot of money, take it from the rich, give it to the poor. You still have more poverty than you can imagine. It doesn't work. When you look at the United States of America, the shining beacon of hope for capitalism across this planet, our average income is 48000 the people living in poverty is only 43 million, less than 14%. But look at how we define poverty if you live off of 30 or dollars or less a day. What does that mean, my friends? I want you to see this chart, the difference between socialism and capitalism. The two biggest nations right now, China and America, we're still on top. They're number two. You know what it used to be before China? Soviet Union. Has anybody seen what happened to them lately? They divided. They fell apart. The, the, the socialism and their communism did not work. Let me show you the difference because some of you don't think this matters, but this does matter. And the Bible talks about this, and it's actually the principles of our nation. Somebody say the principles. When you look at the economy and how money is governed and how it's spent in commerce, socialism and communism have a totally different understanding. Socialism says that the economy is based on government controlling the businesses and the markets. Governments want to buy this factory, they buy it. They want to support this industry, they support it. They put their hands into the system of commerce. Capitalism says, government, get your hands out of there. It belongs to the people. Consumerism, they decide who opens and falls. Ownership and socialism says the government owns everything and distributes it to the people. You see, we're beginning to see that people are looking more and more to the government to want things and to do things for them that our Constitution never said the government was supposed to do. Now, let me ask you a question. When it comes to your health care, when it comes to anything else, do you want the government handling it like they handle your mail or your driver's license? Do you want it to be handled in a socialistic way where they determine how it's to be done? I had to wait in line two hours yesterday just to vote because government things never work as well as things run by the people. Government is supposed to ensure that the people have freedom to do those things. Ownership 
Socialism, everything's owned by the government. Capitalism, people individually have ownership based on their success. You're not owed anything in this country other than your freedom and your right to live. If your mommy and daddy were poor, that's what you got to do to get out of being poor no more. If your parents were rich, you got to make sure that you maintain your riches. Nobody here owes you a fair shot. The fair shot has been given to you by the freedom you have. Now make the best out of it. Amen. Wealth and socialism is capped and then redistributed wherever the, the government likes. That's what happened in Cuba. Those of you who have friends and relatives there, we have an SUM student. I came from Cuba, and he would tell me that his mom was given these food stamps about how much food they could eat. See, wealth in a capitalist society is made by the individual and kept by the individual. Nobody comes in and tells that person you have to give it up. And then social services. Socialism wants to take all the social services and put them in the government so that you become dependent upon that government for everything from, ba uh, from uh, babies to graveyards, from the hospitals to the funeral parlors. But in capitalism, the individual and those people give and share amongst themselves. Now, some people might be familiar with the Bible on these issues, and they might think that sometimes there's a confusion. And yes, well, many Christians have looked at the Bible where it says, you know, give and share, and they sometimes think that that's the socialism of the Bible. They don't understand the full context of that. Number one, the sharing that's happening in the Bible is of free will. Nobody is forcing them to share. That's the first thing. The second thing, those who are receiving the benefits of those things are supposed to get up off their holy backside and do something so that they stop getting a hand out and start getting a hand up. Here's God's heart for the economy, hands up. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. For even when we were with you, Paul talking, we gave you this, this rule. It's a man, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some people around you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tired of doing what is right. My friends, there was nobody in the colonial America saying that you owed them a horse. And, you know, that, you know people saying, well, you, government owes me a horse because somebody has one and I don't. Somebody owes me a plot of land because they don't have, you know, somebody has one and I don't. No, in colonial America, it was get out there and work and make it happen. And that was the Bible principle. Now, you might say, well, there are places in the Bible where they give and they distribute and they keep nothing to themselves. But look at the context of this Acts 4, 33 through 37. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And was much grace was upon them. There was no needy persons among them. Listen, for from time to time, those who own lands. Did the government own the land? Did the church own the land? No, those who owned their own private land, their own houses, sold them, brought the sales from that to the apostles, and it was distributed as anyone who had need. Even to this day with Hurricane Sandy, like Hurricane Katrina, it is always the non-for-profits, the faith-based organizations that do the best job with the money because they care about the people. The government can never care like the individual can care. That's why you know private schools better than public schools. That's why you know Catholic hospitals are better than government-run hospitals where you wait in line for three hours. It's always better by the people for the people. You want to know God's heart today for the economy, for what we should be doing? Work hard. Give to the Lord. Put him first. Provide for your family, share with the needy, and then help the needy find work. That is the principle. If you don't like it, my friends, you need to work harder to change it.
You need to work harder to change it. Europe is not our example. We left Europe on purpose, and now we see what's happening in those nations. We don't want to become a Greece. We don't want to become those places. We want to be the God-blessed United States of America. This is what God says. Get out there and get a hand up and grow in your business. Don't quit. Go back out there. You're, you're receiving unemployment. You're receiving welfare. You think to yourself how fast you can get off those things. On food stamps, think to yourself how fast you can get off those things. Be ingenuitive. Work hard. Nobody here is going to put you down for that. We're going to pick you up for that. Amen? Because we love you, and that's what the Bible says. Take it up with him. Amen? The next thing, talking about God's heart, is religious freedom. This is the, to be able to practice and share one's faith without harm of discrimination. Well, that seems pretty obvious in a land where Katy Perry can kiss a girl and where Muslims can build a mosque wherever they like. You would think that Christians would have that same right. But do you know right now Christians are getting arrested in this nation for simply preaching the gospel? And we have one of the Raven team members here talk to Pastor Troy this week to get more information about it. Simply going to Bourbon Street, preaching the gospel. Guess what they were told they were doing? Disrupting the peace. I don't know if you've ever been to Bourbon Street. I've been to 12 different Mardi Gras. How in the world can you disrupt the peace at Bourbon Street? Were the women showing their breastuses? No, that's a part of the peace. Were they playing loud, vulgar music? No, that's a part of the peace of Bourbon Street. Were they vulgar and shouting and yelling and being drunken and brawls? No, that's a part of what Bourbon Street does. What were they accused of doing? Preaching Jesus Christ. And Bourbon Street didn't like it, and the French Quarter community got together when everybody was sleeping around there. They put a law through there that said they couldn't do this after dark anymore. And the preacher said, your little community law does not bypass the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. There is a freedom of speech in this nation. And until it's otherwise, we will continue to do it. And when it's otherwise, we'll do it, but expect unto the death. And then you look at Dearborn, Michigan. These great men right here from uh, answering Muslims and answering Islam, two different sides, answering Muslims, answering Islam. Here you have David Wood went to the Dearborn Fest with the communities, mostly Islam. Guess what they said? You can't hand out Bibles or talk about Jesus at our festival. The Muslims voted for that, and that's a United States police officer from that community arresting them and putting them in jail because they violated what these people decided in that community. My friends, you don't have the right to change the Constitution. You don't have the right to take away freedom of speech. This is what it says, and this is what we believe, according to what the Bill of Rights First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right to peaceably assemble and to petition the government to readdress a grievance. We're allowed to preach wherever God has put his earth on this planet in this country and I want you my friends to look at the people you're supporting in government are they for this or are they about us shutting up even more are they ashamed of our Christian principles and don't show up to prayer meetings on Congress are they starting to tell us we got to take our Bibles even out of the classroom first they said we couldn't pray now they're saying we can't even bring our Bible to the classroom God have mercy 
Here's another thing that I want you to see from Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence. You think this church and state thing is about not being able to have freedom of speech. That is a lie. Church and separation of church and state simply says the state can't control the church and the church won't control the state. The church gets freedom of speech and the state gets to vote. That's all that it means. It doesn't mean we can't talk about Jesus. Here's what Benjamin Rush said. The only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican forms of government is the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. You want to know what the first textbook was in our schoolhouses? The Bible. Look at the lessons they would learn. A is for Adam. You know, B is for this boat. You know, they would tell the story of creation and all that happened through the ABCs. Next what he says, the great enemy of the salvation of man, in my opinion, never invented a more effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible in schools. In the 1700s, this man said this, if we take the Bible out of our schools, there is not a greater weapon formed against our children than to take that Bible out of schools. How has it been since we've taken our Bibles out of schools? Since they don't pray in the morning. You know, they used to pray. They used to say the Pledge of Allegiance under God. Some principals don't even want them saying under God. How have our schools been, my friends? Look at what's going on in this country right now. And you can see this through a documentary called Christians, or excuse me, Speechless, Silence the Christian. It's on our website. A woman was fired from her university because she signed a petition to have marriage defined as one man and one woman in front of her church. An African-American woman who is deaf and works at a deaf school comes at the end of her church service. There's a petition being signed. Hey, do you believe in one, uh, the marriage of one man and woman? She signs it. Somebody finds out she did, brings her before her job. The university fires her all over the news. You can check up on that. New Orleans, Dearborn, and many other places, street preachers are being arrested for disturbing the peace. In silencing the Christian the documentaries, preachers are now getting arrested for showing up to gay pride parades where they have debauchery, nakedness, and vileness all over the streets. They can't even hold up a sign that says God calls it sin. And then today in our very own city, Alderman Joe Marino is denying still to this day Chick-fil-A to come to Wicker Park because Chick-fil-A supports faith-based organizations. Do you not understand how corrupt our city is, my friends? When the Chick-fil-A thing erupted, you know the city, that was the worst. It's us. It all started here. And I know everybody tells me about, you know, when you talk to an alderman, ask him if you can get the garbage for free since you're a church. Listen to me. The only thing this preacher wants to ask an alderman to do is repent before Jesus Christ and get saved. I met with him in regards to Wicker Park. We talked two minutes over our building for the next hour, my friends. Your preacher talked to that man about Jesus Christ, and I sent him a book and then when I, that talks about Jesus. And when I saw this happen, I said, dear God, raise me up. I ain't afraid of Larry King, Ray, or Rahm, or Emmanuel, or any of them. I'll tell him a sin is a sin, and righteousness is righteousness. That man knows because your preacher told him. I can't tell you about any other preachers, but I looked that man right in the eyes and I said, homosexuality is a sin because that was his problem with Christianity. It came out in our conversation and I said, it's a sin, God will judge it, and you don't want anything to do with it. You need to repent and be born again. 
When you look at the Bible, well, a lot of times we think of Jesus being a preacher. You know, maybe he doesn't want any competition. Maybe free speech doesn't uh, show up in the New Testament, but it does. Luke 6, 31, 33 and onward says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So if you're talking in a conversation, do you want people to listen to you? Well, the golden rule applies. When they talk, you should be able to listen. We're not saying that we have to stop freedom of speech. We're not saying we're going to shut down Katy Perry as much as I disagree with her. We're not saying we're going to kick out Muslims out of this nation. What we're simply saying is when it's our turn to grab the microphone at the graduation ceremony, we're going to pray. When it's our time to hit our knees at the cubicle at their time of prayer for the Muslim and them giving them corporate prayer rooms up in Chicago, we want to hit our knees in our fashion prayers and bow towards Jesus Christ says, do unto others as you want done unto you. Do you know that the greatest thing our nation did was give freedom of religion? Try to go to Saudi Arabia and say what they say about us. Uh, Muslims call us all types of names here. Go to Saudi Arabia where Mecca is and talk about Muhammad the way they talk about Jesus. You'll die instantly. If you love those who love you, what is credit it to you? Even sinner th loves those who love them. And if you only do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. Look at verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. So we love our enemies, amen? That was way at the beginning. That's why that letter came up between John uh, Adams and, and Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson didn't like Christianity very much. John Adams did. At the end of uh, you know, John Adams' presidency, they began to write back and forth. And that's why John Adams said, hey, you know that we established this on Christianity, but we don't force it on anybody. But that's where our roots came from. And so it is still true today. What does God want in America? God wants free speech. Let the best ideas come out and let the truth prevail. I don't have any fear of the truth. Amen? God's heart. Free speech. Speak your heart from wisdom. Titus 2.8. Let others speak and share their heart, whether good or evil. And then you look at the Bible. The Bible teaches us that that is exactly what we're supposed to do. Free speech. You should be able to go where you want and not disturb the, the peace by sharing what you believe. You should be able to make pamphlets and hand them out. Our students should be able to use public school grounds to have Bible studies. They allow the gay and lesbian club to do it. They allow the Halloween prep club to do it. We should be allowed to have free speech everywhere and anywhere. God has blessed the God-blessed America, United States of America. Amen? And then lastly, we get to leadership which would seem like the most obvious, but today I'm afraid that it even sometimes crosses party lines, that we don't understand what is right and what is wrong, even in our leadership. What is leadership? The ability for those in charge of business and government, military, family, religion, to lead with righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Thank you. Free from corruption. Just seems like today you probably feel the way I do that all politicians are corrupt. Well, you know what? There has to be something in place that we remove that corruption. We need to vote the right people into place to get the corruption out of there because America allows us to do that. They're not guaranteed another round in Senate, another round in the House of Representatives. We can vote them out. And I'll show you how here in just a few moments. But I want you to look at what the um, United States Constitution, this is the bylaws and how our leadership should be. It says each house, talking about the Senate and House of Representatives, which makes up our Congress, shall determine the rules of its proceedings, punishment for its members for disorderly behavior. How many know they act crazy? I got a whole list of people acting crazy in the White House. And the concurrence of two-thirds expel a member to kick them out. Somebody say kick them out. 
And here's the quote that I put on Facebook, and I want to let you know this is what I believe God is saying. It's not the Constitution's responsibility to purify our government from corruption. It's the voters' responsibility. It is your job to research and get those guys out or women. It's not capitalism's job to remove greed from business. It's your job as the consumer. If you don't like what McDonald's is doing with their money or you don't like what Hollywood's doing with their money, stop giving them their money. And it's not the Bible's task for unholy pastors and priests to be removed from churches, all these Catholics and all these people going to churches with wicked leadership. It's the disciples' duty. Stop showing up to church. Stop giving them your money and find a church where there's righteous leadership. It's exactly what Abraham Lincoln had in mind right here at the great battle of uh, uh, Gettysburg when he made his address. This is what he said there at the day of the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. He said that this nation... Under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Vote for people that you believe in. Don't just say, I'm picking the lesser of two or evils. Find out who is right. And I love what Dr. Michael Brown said. If we as Christians simply voted by these principles and had accountability in those we knew we could trust, the third party, not Democrat, Republican, the Christian party could sweep the whole entire governmental system of the United States. And say, oh, that would be scary. No, it wouldn't. We would have righteous people in leadership that don't make the Bible the Constitution, but look to the Bible to guide them with the Constitution. It's the righteousness of men and the principles of Jesus Christ that makes this nation successful. That's the way it's always been, my friends. It's those principles that have made us successful. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, For the lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. How many of you were upset when you saw what happened to our ambassador in Libya? And then you saw the debacle coming afterwards from our White House. We need guidance in this nation. We need the right kind of leadership because if we don't have people advising our president, around the president, we will lose our battles. And then when you look at what this uh, uh, John Quincy Adams said, this quote, it's so powerful. He was the son of John Adams, the sixth president. Look at what he says. The highest glory, what was the most important thing of the American Revolution? He says was this, it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. The sixth president said my daddy was right when he talked to Thomas Jefferson. It's by these principles we govern our nation. Not the principles of man or the principles of monarchies. It's the principles of God. What's God's heart for our leadership? To fear God. To people that fear God. Now, every person today can get in some political, you know, speech and say, well, I fear God and God bless you. But look at their record. Do they really fear God? Do they look to righteous things? Do they fight against big government? Do they take corruption out of businesses or are they themselves corrupt? Do all things in honesty. Isaiah 59, 12 through 14 talked about what happened when all of Israel's leadership became corrupt. It's not worth it, friends. Do things in honesty. I would rather believe the truth and it bother me than to believe a lie and feel good. Hello, somebody. Do you want somebody to keep telling you a lie? Oh, it feels good. It feels good. While the whole house is burning down, somebody needs to make you feel uncomfortable and say, hey, the house is on fire. You need to get out of here. What do I believe is God's heart for leadership? Well, you've heard it from our uh, President Abraham Lincoln, 16th President, and John Quisney Adams, the 6th President. Or here's uh, John Adams, the 2nd President. 
the principles of this nation for the people, by the people, is based in Christianity. And so you and I, my friends, shouldn't look at this election as some type of annoyance, like, oh, I'm going to go do something, or look at it like your vote doesn't count. You should be able to go home and say, my preacher gave me scriptures. I'm going to go research. I'm going to look into these people's lives, and I'm going to vote for the one that I feel is best for the job. Look at those most important things in closing today. How do your candidates support the unborn? How do your candidates support marriage, social justice, free speech, or leadership? I put up on our blog for the two major candidates of presidency, Barack, President Barack Obama and Governor Mitt Romney. I've given you a whole a comparison chart on this thing. You make up your decision and you be honest, my friends, because pro-life is God's heart for the unborn. Traditional marriage, that's God's heart for family. A hand up is God's heart for social justice, religious freedom. It's God's heart for free speech, and God-fearing is his heart for leadership. Would you stand up and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Come on. Hallelujah. Band, would you come, please? I want to end out today how our nation started. I want to end today how our nation started. What you see here is the prayer meeting, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? If you and I were asked to know who these men were, we probably don't even know their names. There's three men over here in the right-hand corner huddled around a chair, one with his face in his hands on their knees outstretched arms. The United States of America, for all of its imperfections, trust me, I'll be there with you when we name them. Don't gloss over them at all. But for all of its imperfections, it's the only nation on this planet today that can say their founding fathers did that. And is it any coincidence out of all the nations that have been on this planet, some are so much older than us. Like I've named them, Greece and Italy. Do you know that our Constitution is the oldest Constitution on this planet? You would say, why is that? The, the nations are older. Mexico is older. You know, uh, all these nations, Spain is older. Why are their Constitutions younger? Because they keep having revolts and changes and remaking and changes. They're never finding something they're happy with. I'm not saying the Constitution is the Bible. I'm just saying when these men went to their knees, God gave them something worth fighting for. The American Revolution was a battle, my friends. And it started on their knees. And they said, this is worth fighting for. Do you know what happened in World War II? A lot of you don't know this, and I did until I studied recently in the last couple of years. You know what happened in World War II? fascism, socialism, communism, it's all the same thing. You know what they began to do? They began to take over that part of the world. Russia started killing all of their people and the gulags. Germany started eliminating races. You know why? Because of evolution. Their scientists were some of the smartest people. They weren't dumb. It's like, oh, we don't like Jewish people. They had studied human genes and they came up to this idea that there has to be a better race. 
I mean, if you look at dogs and a chihuahua to a pit bull, you're like, one's got to be better. So they, you know, they started looking at humans the same way. One's got to be smarter. One's got to be better. So they started putting Jewish people in ovens. You know what happened to Europe during that time? France got taken over. Poland, the country my family comes from, rode out to them in horses, got taken over. It wasn't until America said, stop. Stop. Enough is enough. You want to know what our grand... I have two grand... Both of my grandparents fought in World War II. My family's only been here 100 years, by the way. So I'm not too much far behind some of you here. But Both of my grandparents, one from Italy, one from Poland, their parents came here as immigrants. You know why they fought? You know why my Italian grandpa went back and fought against Mussolini and the fascism of Italy? You want to know why my grandpa from Poland went back out there to fight against Germany? Is because they understood there was something special about this country. There was something special that these men formulated. And it didn't matter if you were Catholic, Presbyterian. It didn't matter. You were God-fearing. And when you saw a lady, you talked different. And you, when you got married, you didn't get a divorce. And when you worked hard, you saved it up so you could give it to your children. That's how they thought. And when somebody does something wrong, they need to be stopped. And they stormed that beach of Normandy and died by the tens of thousands so that fascism, socialism would be stopped and broken down. My friends, we need to pray with the same intensity and our hour of, of, of our challenge. This is our battle. Our grandparents have passed away. They did their part. There's no military force coming against us today. Maybe a little few Muslims over there, but nothing that can really take us down. The only thing that will take us down is an ungodly nation. The very thing that God said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace and a putting down. The only thing that will bring down America will be you and me because we sat by and did nothing right. We didn't stop this train of our government and corruption and death of our children starts with us. Second Chronicles 7.14 God said to Solomon everything I'm giving you now is a promise to Israel. He gave all these promises to Israel but he said listen if Israel ever goes wrong if Israel ever does dumb things begins to sin you tell them to do this. I think it applies to us today. If you see America go wrong take the Bible out of the schools and replace it with metal detectors. Stop raising children in traditional families, same-sex families. Stop protecting the unborn. Start slaughtering them in medical clinics. You stop free speech and you suppress the Christians that were the very ones that were praying. Do you know that Congress still has a chaplain that prays before every one of our Congress meetings? If you ever see this, this is what you should do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If you believe in what I've preached today, would you find a place to just kneel by your chair and let us just for a few moments 
turn from our wicked ways first. If you can't kneel, you can sit. Some of you with uh, knee problems, but if you can, let's do what this scripture says. Let's look to our own lives and see if there's any wickedness in us. Start with the unborn. If you were ever a man and you paid for an abortion, you're just as guilty. If you recommended it to your girlfriend or wife, you're just as guilty. Or women here, come on, start with the unborn. Does anybody here need to repent of a wicked way? A wicked way called murder. Search your heart. How about homosexuality? Has anybody here ever had same-sex attraction? Or ever felt that, you know what, it's only fair. It's only fair. They should be able to do this. That's only fair. Come on, ask God to forgive you. Don't you see the statistics? It's hurting our children. It's hurting our civilization. Our civilization depends on our children. We shouldn't just hand them over to perversion. That's not okay. Of course I love them. But I don't want them to raise my children. Jesus, have mercy. Forgive us. Forgive us for abortion. Forgive us for homosexuality. Hallelujah. Come on, social justice. Come on, if some of you got bitter towards the government, they need to do this, and they do this, and everybody needs their fair shot, and you've gotten caught up in some type of class warfare, come on, repent. Ask God to put you back to work again. Nobody's holding you back. Come on, nobody's holding you back anymore. Not saying we're perfect, but you know you got the best chance here to where you came from. There is no African nation, Latino nation, European nation that can compare with the opportunities you have here. Just repent of that attitude. Make this place better. Say, God, I want to make social justice fair where we all work hard. Stop looking for handouts. Oh, Jesus, free speech. Come on, if you've ever believed in that lie that you can't talk about politics or religion on your job, that is unconstitutional. They can't tell you what you can talk about. They're not the thought police. If you've ever told that to somebody, come on, repent for our nation. This nation was built on debate, dialogue, disagreement, the ability to, to share your thoughts. They can talk about last night's party. You can talk about Jesus. Young people, if they can have gay and lesbian clubs, you can have a Jesus Bible club. Hallelujah. Let's pray for our leadership right now. Repent for our leadership. God, we repent of all corruption. The corruption of our politics, our, our right and left, blue and red, all of this nonsense in our government. Get them out, those who are corrupted. Get out the wrong judges. Get out the greedy bankers that put their hands all over this government. Get out, God, those, uh, those people, those lobbyists who thwart justice. None of these things used to exist. Get them out of the way. We don't need them. And bring righteous men and women back in power. In the name of Jesus, and start with me, God. Start with me. Just ask the Lord to bless this nation. Oh, God, bless America. This land that we love, oh, God. Let's just pray for her. Come on, just a few moments.
God, bless this nation. Bless our teachers. Oh, God. Bless our politicians. Bless our policemen, God. Oh, Jesus. Take violence out of this city. Remove violence from this city, oh, God. Jesus, we've done everything we can in Chicago to get the violence out except pray and go street witness. So, Lord, the last option now is our, our best option. We're going to pray and we're going to witness on these streets. It's the only thing that will change them. It's not more schools. It's not more handouts. It's the only thing that will change our inner cities, oh, God, is your gospel. People getting saved. I'm going to read this in closing. America. While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet home. If you believe that, can you just bless the Lord today? Come on. Amen. Altar workers, would you come in closing? I know some of you today, you came with needs and we don't want you to leave out unless we pray for you. So we're going to have some altar workers come up here today. And if you need prayer for anything, your family, something you're going through, we really want you to join us up here today and pray. I ask you that you remember this. When you vote, I put on Facebook all of the notes today. And so as we get ready to dismiss, I want you to make sure that you vote with a clear conscience before God, knowing what God would want you to do when you vote. Amen? Amen. I won't be there but God will be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this church service. I spoke your word, what you put into my heart. I pray your people will live it. Make this nation great again. Bless us, God, as we bless you. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Can you bless him? Have a wonderful day. Hang out. We'll see you next time at Life Groups. God bless you. I love you. I want